Well, good morning. So good to see you. We made it to church this morning and then it hailed. And I thought, oh no, Lord. But the Lord's timing is perfect, right? The hail came and it kind of melted off before the whole traffic came. So I think we're good, right? You didn't, nobody slipped and fell, right? Oh, good, good, good. Hey, I got to tell you before we get going this morning, I had the incredible privilege and opportunity of sharing uh, at a men's uh, sportsman's dinner thing over in Burns on Friday night. Mona and I went through the snow to get there, and we were a little nervous. I was very nervous driving, but the good thing is, is the, it wasn't bad. Occasionally, we'd hit spots of packed ice as we headed on Highway 20. The worst part was just trying to get into Burns. Oh my goodness, I told those guys, they win. They've got way more snow than we did, and it's not, it's not melting off over there. They just had piles and piles of snow. So, but I had this incredible privilege of not only being able to share the gospel with a, a group of men there, but I got to eat some pretty incredible food. I ate bison, which I'd never had, but just bison steaks, which was good. I, there was pheasant cheese. I never knew you could make cheese out of pheasant. There was, uh, let's see, what else did I have? Well, the, the, way, the thing that I was most excited to try was cougar. They had cougar meat there. And honestly, I could not tell. I thought they were joking because it, it, was, it was a lot like pork chops. I mean, it was just like pork. It was white meat. It was delicious. So let's go get us some cougar, huh? <laughs> that was amazing. It was really good. I was, I was very, very excited that I got to eat cougar <laughs> anyway. But it was, a, it was a fun night with those guys. Got to talk about Jesus and, and uh, just love him. I got to meet the sheriff over there who went through a year ago all that headache of, of what happened in Harney County there. And he loves the Lord to pieces. It was so encouraging to hear him talk and how during that time the Lord was working in his heart and, and helping him come to realize, not just in intellect, but in action, how to really love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He said that's what God implanted into his heart and he sought to do that. Very, very wonderful man and, and uh, I want to continue praying for him as, as he is over there and still experiencing some backlash from that whole thing that took place. But anyway, just wanted to share with you what I've been doing. I hope your week was good. I, I hope that throughout this last week you thought about Jesus at least at some point, if not every day, at least some point through the week, because that's what we're here to do, is to think about Jesus, to focus on Jesus, to worship our Lord because of what he has done for us, just like we've sung he died on the cross for our sins and rose again on the third day. He is the giver of eternal life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And just as Jesus said, no man comes to the Father but by him. So how could we not focus on Jesus as we come together? This morning I want us to look at uh, a rather lengthy passage. So I should quit talking and get into it, right? <laughs> yeah. So... I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, and we're going to start at verse 32, and we're going to move our way into chapter 10, verse 23. So start with me in Acts chapter 9, verse 32. 
as this is the case, it's a, it's a rather lengthy passage and, and there's a lot of uh, narrative that goes on. So we won't read every single verse throughout this passage. I will summarize what, what happened. You can read it. I pray that you will read it. I, I plead with you to read it on your own. Um, but we're going we're gonna to pick out some things of this passage that speaks to the issue of Peter's conversion. So would you pray with me? And we'll dig in. Father, thank you so much for this morning. And Lord, thank you so much for the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done on our behalf. Thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy that reached down to us when we were helpless and hopelessly lost. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you made us alive because of Christ Jesus. So Lord, today we are here. We want to even in this time exalt Jesus Christ. May he be lifted high as we look at the word together. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be mighty in this place. That you would convict and, and you would move us that our hearts would be drawn closer to you because of his work in us. Lord, we pray that your word would not return void today, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to ask you a question. Do you believe that the gospel is for all people? For all people. Do you act like the gospel is for all people? You believe it. But do you act like it? See, this next picture, I thought it was time to show my grandkids, so I had to put my grandkids up there. But as I think about this question, is the gospel truly for all people? I have to be honest with you. Now, I put that up there because they're super cute. And that's a really great picture because it's me. I get to love on them. That was, that was Christmas time. Um, Scarlett was brand new to our family there, and Ryder was loving on her, and I was the happiest man in the whole wide world right there. That was just a wonderful time. But I show this picture as well because i got to be truthful with you today. I would say to you, the gospel is for all people. Absolutely, I would say that with you. However, when I look at my life, When I look at the way I act towards certain people, I have to be honest. I'm not sure I have a strong conviction in my heart that the gospel is for all people. See, I pray regularly for my grandkids. I pray that they come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I don't care whether they make a lot of money. I don't care about their health. I just pray that they come to know Jesus as their Savior. I believe The gospel is for my grandkids, and I pray for them. But then I have to ask the question, is the gospel also for the drug addict? Is the gospel also for the homosexual? Is the gospel also for the Iraqi or the Muslim? Is the gospel also for these other people that I neglect to pray about, that I don't show very much in my actions that I care about? You see, this morning, we need to wrestle with this question. We believe the gospel is for all people, but do we act like the gospel is for all people? See, don't quickly say, yes, I believe it, unless you're willing to act on it. See, today, we we look at Peter. And and last week, we looked at Paul. Paul came and he shared his his personal testimony. A good-looking man, by the way. Good-looking man. Looked... 
Anyway, he came and he shared his personal testimony based on uh, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 31, and, and he shared how his conversion changed him. And we talked about the definition of conversion. Conversion means the act or process of change. It's changing from one state or form to another. In Christianity, most often, it speaks of converting to the Christian faith or recognizing that the path you are on is the wrong path and aligning yourself up with the gospel of Jesus Christ and choosing that path. It's, it's changing direction. But there's another type of conversion that we are looking at today as we look at Peter. See, conversion is not just a once one-time moment. It's a one-time moment into the Christian faith, but I would submit to you today that even after you become a follower of Christ, even after that initial conversion to Christianity, there is a process of conversion that should be continuing on until you enter heaven. It's a conversion that Peter experiences it's a conversion that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but what? Be transformed. Be converted, if you will, in, your, in the way you do it by renewing your mind. So that process of conversion is something that needs to continue. Today we're going to look at Peter. Peter did not need to be converted to the Christian faith. He needed to be converted to the ethics of the Christian faith, namely that the gospel is for all people. And so today, as we begin part one of looking at the conversion of Peter, I want us to think about three words, proclamation, preparation, and revelation. Those are three terms that we're going to consider as we look at this story of Peter's conversion, proclamation, preparation, and revelation. First of all, let's look at proclamation. As we pick it up in verse 20 or 32 of chapter 9, here is Peter, and through Peter, the gospel is being powerfully proclaimed. We first of all see a powerful proclamation or a powerful gospel proclamation. Peter, we're told, has this incredible ministry. Verse 32 says, Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. So you need to understand, this terminology, speaking of Peter, right from the get-go, speaks of an evangelical ministry. That term that he was going here and there is a term that is often used for he is going here and there, sharing the gospel, sharing the good news. He's proclaiming Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he died on the cross for sins, that he rose again on the third day, that he is now ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father. That's what Peter was proclaiming. He's going here and there. He's proclaiming the gospel. But in these two examples, we see it is an incredibly powerful proclamation. Because what, he, what we see is the Lord Jesus working through Peter, and we see him through Peter conquering disease and even conquering death. The conquering of disease and the conquering of death is seen here, but these are not the, 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 the main point of these texts. I mean, we can get excited about the conquering of disease and the conquering of death, but all those are signs, those are miracles that, that the Lord performs through the Apostle Peter to show that Jesus is the Messiah. 
dying on the cross for sin, raising again on the third day, ascended where he is seated at the right hand of the Father. These are signs. But notice, there is a conquering of disease. First of all, Peter, as he's going here and there, he's going from these places. What does the Scripture says? It says he goes, there among them all. That is, all of Judea and even Samaria. That's as far as the gospel had gotten. And when he gets to Lydda, which is about 25 miles um, southwest of Jerusalem, it's on the main road that heads to Joppa, and so in a moment we'll hear about Joppa, which is another 12 miles beyond Lydda. He gets to Lydda, and he's sharing the gospel, and he comes across this man, Aeneas. Aeneas is a man who has been paralyzed for eight years, the scripture says. Eight years. We don't know much about him. We don't know whether he was an older man or a younger man. We don't know whether he was a husband or a father. We don't know whether he used to work the fields and now cannot. All we know is that for the last eight years, he has not been able to walk. If he had a wife, he was not able to walk hand in hand with his wife. If he had a job, he was not able to perform that job anymore because he could not walk. If he had children, he couldn't pick them up in his arms and throw them up in the air. He's a man who understood what it was like to walk, but for the last year, eight years, he couldn't. We don't know why he couldn't walk. We don't know whether it was a, a, a disease that attacked his spinal cord. It could have been an accident that he had while he was out plowing one day that, that severed his spinal cord. All we know is that at one point he walked, but for the last year, eight years, he cannot walk. Peter finds him, and he, and he does an incredible thing. He goes over to him, and he speaks these words. Notice what the scripture says, verse 34. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus, Christ Jesus heals you. Rise and make your bed. He addresses the issue. This man cannot walk. Peter goes over and says, Rise, pick up your bed, and walk. Now, where did Peter hear that? Oh, remember, there was something that Jesus said earlier. Peter, being a follower of Jesus, an apostle of Jesus, had heard Jesus. Remember that time in, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5? When, when Jesus is teaching in the house, and, and, a, and a paralyzed man is dropped through the ceiling by his friends. What does Jesus say after talking about being able to forgive sins? He says, so that you know that the Son of Man is able to forgive sins. He looks at the paralyzed man then. Jesus says, rise, pick up your bed, and walk. Here's Peter saying the same thing. Peter is exemplifying Jesus Christ. And in fact, Peter makes sure that Aeneas understands it is Christ Jesus who's giving you this ability to walk. Peter is powerfully proclaiming the gospel, Jesus. And so this man, Aeneas, immediately we see he rose. And as a result, all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. What a powerful gospel proclamation. Jesus Christ can conquer disease. He can conquer this inability to walk. And he did so, but even more, he can conquer the disease of sin. And the people in Lydda and all in the plain of Sharon there, they heard about it. They saw him now 
walking hand in hand with his wife. They saw him walking behind a plow once again, and they were so amazed they couldn't help but ask, how did this happen? And they were told it was Jesus Christ, the one who died for you, the one who lives again for you, and is seated at the right hand of God, interceding for you. And they come to know Christ Jesus as their Savior. Whoa! What a powerful proclamation! But what's even more powerful in our minds than disease? Death, right? Death. It seems so so permanent. But in this case, because of the powerful proclamation of the gospel, it is not. Because what happens now is this woman, this woman who is in Joppa, who is probably an elderly lady, probably, although Scripture doesn't say this is our, our surmise, that she is probably a widow. And she gets ill. Very sick, even to the point of death. And what's amazing is the scripture here says instead of doing what what they would have normally done, which was quickly embalm her and, and put her in a tomb, they put her upstairs in a house. It's a curious thing. Because of the Old Testament laws and regulations of dead bodies, they kind of disregarded that. But the Scripture gives us an understanding why they did. Because they heard that Peter was only 12 miles away over in Lydda and that he had just healed a paralytic. So if he's healed a paralytic, maybe he can come to Joppa and he can raise Tabitha from the dead. And sure enough, you know the story. Peter gets the call. He goes into Joppa. And what's amazing is he goes into that upper room and all the other widows were told in verse 39 stood beside him weeping over her, but also showing him all the things that she had made. I think that's kind of cool, isn't it? I think that just says that God has a special place for widows. Doesn't it say that? If you're a widow here, hear that. Understand uh, there's, there's scripture after scripture that speaks about God's heart for the widowed. And if that's you, hear it. And these widows are there and they're showing, they're showing uh, Peter all that she has made, tunics and, and, and these things. And, and what he does is pretty amazing and would not happen today. See, Peter does not do this. He does not say, hey, first, could you set up a big old tent and could you invite a whole bunch of people in? And then if you could, could you get a bunch of cameras, TV cameras around here? Before I raise her from the dead, let's get some money out of this, right? Let's take up an offering. And you can give your, uh, what do they call it now? It's escaped my mind. Your seed money. Give your seed money and the miracle will happen to you as well. That's not what Peter did. That's what we would do today or some would do today. Instead, what we, are, what we see is that Peter sent everybody out of the room. So it was just he and Tabitha. He and this woman who had died, he sends everybody out. Now why? Is it because he's not sure whether he can raise her from the dead? Is it because he, he doesn't want to make a fool out of himself if, if he doesn't? No. Because he recognizes the source The ability for Peter to raise Tabitha from the dead does not exist in him. It exists in Jesus Christ. And if he is going to raise this woman from the dead, he needs to concentrate. He needs to be a man of prayer. He needs to go before the Lord Jesus and seek this for Tabitha. He didn't want any distractions. And we see him in front of Tabitha, just he and her in that upstairs room. And in verse 40... He said, Tabitha, arise. Tabitha, 
arise. Where have we heard that statement before? Jesus. You remember Jairus? Jairus' daughter had died. Jesus, in fact, took his time getting to Jairus' daughter when a woman touched him who was issuing blood, who was streaming blood, and, and, and he, he cleansed her from that. He healed her from that just as she touched his robe. And he took his time getting there. And by the time he got to Jairus' house, his daughter had died. But Jesus goes into the room with his dead daughter, and he says the same thing. Child, arise. Child, arise. Did you know that in the Greek, the word child and the name Tabitha or Dorcas is the very identical word. There's, there's a vowel that's different in each one of those. And if I knew Greek well enough, I could give those names to you, but I don't. I just mess it up. So you're going to have to take my word for it. But one said, Jesus says, child arise. Here, again, imitating Jesus and in the power of Jesus, Peter says, Tabitha, arise. And the result is, she gets up. She looks at Peter. Behold, she's alive again. What a powerful proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus has conquered disease and now he has conquered death. And notice the result in verse 42. And it became known throughout all Joppa and many believed in the Lord. This is a powerful, powerful gospel proclamation. Now I've taken a lot of time here and I shouldn't have, so forgive me. But I get excited. These are good things to know and learn, right? Some of you are going, yes. Some of you are going, come on. Come on, right? Powerful gospel proclamation, but what you need to understand is this is a powerful gospel proclamation, but it is exclusive. It is a powerful gospel proclamation with exclusion here. Who is Peter ministering to? Who is he sharing this powerful proclamation of the gospel with? His own people. The Jewish people, he's there in, in Lydda, and he's telling this to the saints who are there, namely the, the Hebrews who have put their faith in Jesus. He's ta- talking to them. When he even goes into Joppa, even though the further you get away from Jerusalem, which would be Joppa, the more Gentiles you have there, he still is ministering simply to his own people. See, Peter is an insider. He's one of God's people, and he's only ministering to the other insiders. But the question is, how do you convict an insider that the gospel is also for outsiders? How do you bring that conviction? It comes through conversion. It comes through a change. It comes through a redirection in one's life. And that's what Peter is now going to experience in chapter 10. God wants him to be converted to a conviction that the gospel is for all people, not just the Israelites and not even the Samaritans. You see, in chapter 2 of Acts, the gospel had been opened up to the Hebrew people. In chapter 8, through Philip... The gospel was opened up to the Samaritans. But you remember what Jesus said before he ascended in Acts chapter 1, verse 8? He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Jewish people, in Judea, Jewish people, and into, wait, what, Samaria? Part Jewish people. 
But then he says, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Gentile people. Peter is, is, a, is a product of his upbringing, of his culture. Do you know that the Jewish uh, people had a proverb that said this? That Gentiles, let me find it here. Gentiles were created by God as fuel for the flames of hell. That's the culture in which Peter raised, was raised. In fact, it was more of a divided culture than we have today. We talk about whites and, and, and blacks, right? And we, we see the dividing line, the, the discrimination that takes place there. But you've got to understand, in the Old Testament, God himself called the Israelites to be separate from the rest of everybody else. This was the culture in which Peter lived. Now, never mind that in Mark chapter 7, Jesus had opened it all up, opened the gospel up to everybody. But Peter heard that, but that goes in one ear and out the other because he was raised with such a discriminatory mind. So yes, his powerful gospel proclamation came with exclusion. He was not going to go any further than Samaria. Until the Lord steps in. And the Lord steps in in a mighty, mighty way. So we've seen this powerful gospel proclamation, but what we understand now is Peter needs a conversion to a conviction that the gospel truly is for all people. And that's going to come through two things. First, a preparation, a divine preparation. And then it's going to come through an emphatic, a a very strong revelation. Let's look real quick. Chapter 10, verse 1, we're introduced to a man. His name is Cornelius. It says in verse, 10, verse 1 of chapter 10, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius. Notice the description, his job. He is a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. He is, a, he is not just a Gentile. He's a Roman Gentile. And if you know anything about the culture of Peter's day, it was the Romans who had control over everybody, and they were harsh to the Jewish people. So not only was this a Gentile, but it was a Roman Gentile, and he was part of the, of the problem. He was a soldier. He, in fact, he was a high-ranking soldier. He'd be like a captain in our day and age. He was a high-ranking soldier. And we're introduced to this guy. We're, we, we find out his, his job, but then we also find out about his character. Notice what the Scripture says about him. He is, in verse 2, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. Now, this is a description of what is known in the Scripture as a God-fearing man. He is one who... Although he is Roman, he rejected all the Roman gods. And he chose to follow the one true living God. Yet, he was not a proselyte. He did not become fully a Jew. He wasn't circumcised or anything that would be required for that. So he was what came to be known as a God-fearing man. He sought out the one true living God, but he was not Jewish. He was Gentile. He was a Roman Gentile. And notice the description. He is a good man. Horizontally, he gives 
his, his alms to the poor. He, he helps people out financially, horizontally. Vertically, he prayed faithfully to the one true living God. And that sets it up. Because one day while he's praying, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the ninth hour, which was the normal time for a Hebrew to pray. He is praying, and all of a sudden, a messenger from God comes and speaks to him. And, and this messenger of God puts the fear of God in Cornelius, as I'm sure it would me. And notice what he says. Notice what he says. He, he says, what is it, Lord? Here is this centurion. He is one who is the master over hundreds of soldiers. And now he's calling this one who I don't think he fully knows who it is at this point, but he calls him master. He calls him Lord. He certainly knows there is some sort of authority in this person who is speaking. And this messenger of God goes on and says in verse 4, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. I love it. Here is a God-fearing man, horizontally helping people out, vertically praying faithfully to the one true living God. The question is, was he saved? Was he a Christian? No. Otherwise, he wouldn't need Peter to come. But see, I point this out because here's what we have in our culture today. And you need to be careful because it could even be a mindset in this room. We have this, this thinking that says, you know, as long as somebody's sincere in their faith, right? As long as they're sincere, as long as they just have faith, then, you know, God will meet them halfway and they'll get into heaven. And, you know, they may not put their faith in Jesus, but as long as they're really super sincere, God's not going to kick them out of heaven. Have you ever thought that or heard that? There are people in our culture that honestly believe that. But you know what you do if you go into that kind of belief? You make Jesus a liar. Because it was Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, the life. And then just to make sure we understand, he says, no man, no one, not one single person comes to the Father except by me. See, the point of this is, you can have the most sincere faith in whatever you want to believe in, and it still takes you into the direction of hell. See, because it's not the faith that matters, it's the object of our faith that matters. Here's Cornelius. He is a sincere, God-fearing man, but he's not saved. He doesn't know Jesus Christ. He hasn't heard about Jesus Christ. That's why the messenger of God says, send for Peter. Let him come and talk to you. Because it's there that he hears about Jesus Christ. It's there that he finds out the object of his faith. So Simon what we're told is Simon gets two guys from his household, two servants and a soldier of his, and he sends them to Joppa. He's like anxious. He's a God-fearing man. He wants to hear what this Peter has to say. This is all in preparation. This is a divine preparation. See, God is in the process of orchestrating this amazing plan 
for Peter to experience a conversion to the conviction that the gospel is for all people, including now Gentiles. Yes, even Roman Gentiles. And so God takes this man who is a God-fearing man but needs to hear about Jesus and is going to use him for Peter's conversion. So we see that. And, and, and how God is going to do it is what we see next. Through this emphatic revelation. See, because as these three men are on their way to Joppa, we now go back to Joppa and we see Peter. And we see Peter, verse 9, and the next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, here's what was going on with Peter. Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour. That's noon. He went up there to pray. And the scripture says that he was getting hungry in his prayers, so he asked the the, the people in the house if they could make lunch. He was hungry. He was upstairs. And while he's praying, all of a sudden, the scripture here says he fell into a trance. Later on in chapter 11, Peter says, I saw a vision. And he sees this vision. And I need you to read it with me so that you can uh, can understand. Verse 11. And he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. So here's this vision. This sheet descends from heaven. It's a heavenly vision. This is a vision from God. It's not a vision from an evil devil or Satan himself. This is a vision from God descending from heaven. Four corners of that sheet are coming from the four corners of the earth, which in that mindset, in the Jewish mindset, that meant the entirety of the earth. This is for all the earth, this vision is. But in that sheet, which is coming from all the corners of the earth, are all these animals and reptiles and birds, even those that by the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 11, are called unclean. And you cannot eat those animals. We understand today that still the the Jewish people don't eat pork, right? We, We know that. But in Leviticus chapter 11, there's a whole list of dietary laws that a a devout Jew will adhere to. But now this this vision is from heaven, this sheet, and all these animals, even the unclean ones, and listen to what the Lord Jesus himself says. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. What? What? Can you imagine Peter? No! No! I'm a follower of God. I've always obeyed the Old Testament law, and now you're telling me that I should even kill and eat some of these that by Leviticus 11 are unclean? No way. And that's what he says. He says, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. He's a devout Jew. He, He wants to follow Yahweh. He wants to follow the laws that Yahweh has set up. But now, here is the Lord Jesus himself saying, those laws, null and void. Why? Because Christ has come. Because Messiah has showed up on the scene. Messiah has died on the cross for sin, risen again on the third day, ascended to the right hand of the Father. Messiah has been here. Everything has changed. That was a great, great spot for amens. Some of you picked that up. Thank you. 
everything has changed. It's like this. I think I heard a description of this best this week. It's like when you have younger kids and, and they're, let's say they're on one side of the street and you're on the other and they want to come join you. But all of a sudden you look down the street and there's a car coming their way. What do you say? Stop! Don't come across the street. Don't come this way. For your own safety, for your own well-being, stop. Stay right there. And then you watch that car go by and you look both ways and you see that the road is clear, there's nobody there, and then you say, come. See, this is not, this is not God, um, um, oh my goodness, I had the word just a little bit ago, Contra- con- contradicting himself. God's not contradicting himself. He gave that Old Testament law for a reason, for their safety, for their health, but also, and most importantly, because he said, I'm holy, so you be holy. In other words, I'm separate from all of creation and all other so-called gods. Therefore, you as a nation need to be separate from all other nations. Stop. But along comes Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for sins, raising again on the third day, ascending to the Father, seated at His right hand, and now everything changes, and that roadway is clear. And now the Father says, come. Come and eat. Rise, eat, kill. It's okay. Nothing's unclean anymore. Now you're no longer a distinct group of people. You can be part of the whole distinct group that we call the family of God or the kingdom of God. See, now there is this removal of that. But Peter can't get it. See, Peter needs a conversion to that kind of conviction. And so this really, dear church, is not about food. We can get so caught up in, well, that means I can eat everything. I can even eat cougar. (laughs) I did. But that's not really what it's about. Because look what happens. What happens is, is, is this voice comes back to him a second time, verse 15. What God has made clean, do not call common. Now this is a vision, and it's a very strong, emphatic vision because of verse 16. This happened three times. This was not just a one-time deal. It's emphatic. Peter, I want you to get this message. You need to understand it. I'm not going to give it to you just once. I'm going to give it to you three times. You know, when I was learning how to preach, I was told that if you want people to get something, one of your main points, you've got to say it at least three different times. Interesting. Three different times, Peter sees this vision. It's a strong, emphatic vision. And Peter's perplexed by it, verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. Now, stop for a second. I just want to point this out. Even these three Gentiles who were seeking Peter out understood the way that it used to be. They didn't go up to the door and knock. They stood at the gate and called out. Why? Because a Jew would never associate with a Gentile. A Jew would never go to a Gentile's home. That would be unclean. So here these Gentiles come to Peter's home, and instead of knocking on the door, wanting to get in, they stay at the gate and they yell, is this where Simon Peter is? See, they understood that separation. But see, God is in the process of bringing this conversion to Peter 
So that he has this conviction that the gospel truly is for all people, including Gentile. These people yell out. Peter hears it. And I think something clicks in Peter. The eyes of Peter's spiritual heart open even more. And he gets the vision. Because notice what happens. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit, this is by verse 18, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. You know that that word hesitation, without hesitation, can also mean without discrimination? Making no distinctions? That, that Greek word means that as well. So Peter is told by the Lord, or by an angel of the Lord at this point, go down, go without hesitation and without discrimination because I've sent these people to you. And Peter goes and and he hears what they say. Verse 21, And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright, and here's the term, God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. Now listen, church, don't miss the last verse of our passage today. Because it says that conversion has begun in Peter's heart. Notice what it says. So Peter invited them in to be His guests. That would have never happened a few days earlier. Peter would have never allowed it. But you see, God is preparing Peter and bringing a revelation to Peter to to usher in more conversion in his heart to the conviction that the Gospel is truly, truly, I mean truly for all people. Not just the insiders, but now the outsiders as well. And Peter is starting to get it. He says, come on in. Be my guests. Come on in. And they spend the night and we'll pick it up in the next verse, verse 20, middle part of verse 23, and we'll see what happens throughout Peter's conversion to this conviction that the Gospel is for all people. So I have to ask you, though, before we go, I know you're thinking, oh, good, he's done. Just hang on a few more moments. We can't leave this place just knowing this. We have to leave this place seeking to apply this. So again, I have to ask you this question. Do you truly, truly believe that the Gospel is for all people? I believe the gospel is for my grandkids, and so I pray for my grandkids, but do I really, really believe the gospel is for the Iraqis? Do I really, really believe the gospel is for the addict, for the homosexual, for those that are opposing my my beliefs? Do you really believe that the gospel is for Democrats as well as Republicans? Or, in some other cases, Republicans as well as Democrats. Do you really believe that the gospel is for all people? Because if you do, if you do, you will proclaim the gospel at all times to all people. Mona and I had a great discussion coming back from Burns yesterday. 
And we recognize there are people, it seems, who really want nothing to do with the gospel. And it's easy in some cases, especially when they're quote-unquote by us unlovely people, it's really easy to say, ah, they don't want to hear it anyhow. But what am I doing? I'm discriminating who could hear and who won't hear the gospel. Does that happen to you? Does that happen to you? See, maybe today you and I need a conversion to the conviction that the gospel is really for all people. That the gospel is for all people. That there are no lines of division. That it's for black people. It's for Hispanic people. It's for Native American people. It's for Asians and Russians and Germans and Iraqi and Palestinians. It's for Mormons and JWs. It's for Catholic and Jewish and, and Muslim people. It's for those who are educated as well as those who are illiterate. The gospel is for those who are homeless. Those who are poor. Those who are divorced. Those, we can name it, the reasons why we might want to put up boundaries to sharing the gospel. But if we really honestly believe the gospel is for all people, then like Peter, we will say, come on in, be my guest. Let me tell you about Jesus. And the dividing lines will disappear. Let's pray. Father, Thank you so much that you looked down upon us when we were...